Thank you for joining us as we elevate the Black entrepreneur experience by interviewing CEOs, thought leaders, innovative thinkers, and Black entrepreneurs across the globe. I'm your host, Dr. Frances Richards, owner of Sally Gasby Publishing and former head of security for the Jacksons. Welcome, Pierre Williams. Thank you for having me. You know, you have a really interesting background. So why don't you fill in the gaps and share with our audience what you'd like them to know about you and your business? Okay. Uh, so the name of our current business is Seal Gatsby Publishing Company. Um, we're a publishing company right now. We're uh, publishing the former president of Germany. Um, his story is a very interesting one, which is why we elect to publish his. Um, he was the president of uh, Germany from 2010 to 2012. Uh, he was riddled with a scandal, a bribery scandal, and he was forced to resign in 2012. He spent a year clearing his name and then went back and sued every media outlet that put the story out and he actually won. So that's the project we're working on now. Um, there's obviously other businesses I have, but that's the current one I have. Um, the other business um, is a, a, a union plumbing company in Los Angeles. Um, we're one of the, I think we're like one of three um, disabled veteran, black owned, small business minority public plumbing companies. Um, one of the first projects we were able to work on was the Los Angeles Rams Stadium. Um, you know, we currently just got awarded the project with the Clipper Stadium um, through uh, another subcontractor. Um, so that's pretty much what we have right now uh, going on. Talk about your journey going from head of security to plumbing to publishing. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go back a little bit before the head of security so you can see the journey how I got there. Uh, I spent about 11 years uh, in the military um, pre-9-11 all the way through good part of the war. Um, I'd say about 70% of, maybe 60, 70% of my time was spent in the special operations community, um, constantly deploying um, things of that nature. Obviously developing an out of the box mentality, doing things that um, were virtually impossible uh, under normal circumstances. Left there, left the military in 2007, 48 hours after my last um, deployment to Iraq, um, I, uh, I was in the U.S. back home um, prior to going to be discharged. Back then, um, I'm pretty sure they don't do it like that now, but I think it was probably 10 days after leaving Iraq, I was a civilian, um, didn't really have the mental evaluation or debriefs or anything like that. It was, you know, I was pretty much, my contract was up and I was out of the military function as a civilian or trying to function. Uh, tried to get a couple jobs, didn't pan out, uh, started be, became a plumber. That's how I even started to get involved in the plumbing uh, field. Did that for about 18 months. Um, a lot of the injuries I had from war kind of surfaced themselves and I, I, I had to, I pulled off from that and I just kind of relaxed for a second, you know, kind of you know, ease my mind a little bit. Um, probably about 2009 after uh, MJ passed, um, shortly after, uh, 
somebody gave me a call who was familiar with my background and asked me if I could uh, escort the children to the Grammys, which was in January 2010. Um, it was supposed to be a one-off. I did it. I came in the next day at the, the property in Sino to give my check, and uh, I was asked to take the kids somewhere else that day, and I did it. Um, the following day, I was pretty much came back to give my check, and I was told Mrs. Jackson wanted to talk to me. And uh, she offered me a job there, and you know, basically a one-day, one-off <laughs> turned into four years almost. Um, and from there, um, I left there. And the most interesting thing about that, once I left that job, um, the everything I had to deal with from the war came kind of crashing down on me um, that I'd never dealt with before. So there, now you have the the, the the mental weight of being in and out of combat that I had to deal with. And that, that was his own challenge to say the least. Um, I had a don't quit mentality, so failure wasn't an option. And um, I think around 2015, my brother had, he was a plumber by trade. So we were talking about starting a company and um, on my grandmother's kitchen table, you know, borrowed some money from my mother. Uh, who helped us facilitate and start the company uh, late 2015, early 2016. Um, the first year we were in office, um, in operation, we probably made about $40,000 doing service repair and insurance calls. Um, 2017, late 2016, I started um, using a lot of tools that I had from the military, uh, whether it be kind of sneaking in and out of places and just getting the lay of the land or just making people familiar with who I was. Uh, we were awarded um, a project at the LA Ram Stadium. That was our first project as a union plumbing company. Um, so we did that. And that year uh, we went from basically 40,000 in 2016 to 2.1 million in 2017. Um, that was a, a significant growth. 2018, we did better. 2019, obviously 2020, the pandemic came. And it kind of slowed a lot of things down. It didn't stop when you slowed them down. A lot of the projects that we were awarded got pushed to the right and you know, we just had to hustle and bustle and uh, keep pushing through. Um, the pandemics, it definitely made me go back to my tools and figure out the way of doing things. The problem with growing a business that fast, uh, a lot of people don't know is going from micro to that is is you're in the little you're kind of in no man's land um you're too new for companies to really give you the capital you need or basically the capital you need you're not big enough to get the get the capital you probably need as well so you're in that middle where nobody really wanted to loan us money we were kind of a risk so we found ourselves you know doing whatever we got to do big barn still to get where we were um when I say around too late, late 2020, uh, start reaching out to individuals, contacts I had overseas between dealing with the Jackson and dealing with special operations. And we start, um, we start just coming up with business ideas to do this and do that. And one of the things we came up with was a media company and it didn't really pan out. And um, he had mentioned, but one of my contacts had mentioned, say, hey, we got people that want to, um, bring books, you know, they have these novels they've written, they want to release them in the U.S., um, a couple high-profile people. I didn't really want to deal with that at the time. 
fast forward to June of 2021, 2021, um, he presented, you know, another option with the with the current book we have right now. Him and like three other people, three other heads of states from different countries. And um, here we are, I went with the story and the plumbing company, I've kind of we've kind of structured to where somebody's gonna fall into place and the uh, refocus for myself is gonna be the publishing company. So that's where we are right now. Pierre, thank you for serving our country. Um, and yeah, definitely appreciate that. Talk about mental health and serving in the military. Mental health, okay, so for me, um, I didn't really know how damaged I was. I had no clue. Um, my last, I'll focus on my last trip a little bit to Iraq. And I'll actually, I'll focus on my last two deployments. The deployment before Iraq, um, I was in a, not so much a remote area, but we were in Asia. And we were conducting, you know, not the intensity you had in Iraq, but they were operations. Um, it's more of a quiet war that was going on. And I spent a lot of time on a fishing boat conducting solo operations, whether it be logistics or other things. There have been, I think, well, my during my time, six months there, I probably spent about 30 or 40% of my time where I was the only American. The only other American I saw was the reflection of the water, which was myself. Um, so, and it was in a deep jungle. So that had its own, um, level of stress and fatigue. You had a real threat over there. You you know, there was Americans that had been killed over there. So that was one challenge I had to deal with, you know, that that um that jungle fatigue. I never understood it until I did that trip. I'd say about four or five months after that I found myself in Iraq. Um the trip we did to Iraq was it was obviously it was a special operation, but it was direct action, hostage recovery type deal. Um, I think the hundred days I was there, I probably did anywhere between 90 to a couple over a hundred raids, um, maybe more, um, jumping from task force to task force, whether I was sitting on a corner, pulling security on a Humvee, fast roping down in a courtyard, going through a breach, you know, you're doing those day in and day out going after bad guys. Um, a lot of lessons learned, rounds getting thrown back and forth. And it um, it pushes you to your limits. You don't really think about it because your work, that tempo is so high. When you get back, when I got back in country, when I got back in the US, to me, I was normal in my eyes. Um, I was, in my opinion, I was kind of short tempered, but working in that environment, you're aggressive when you need to be, but you also have to be, um, you have to be able to be a people person. So I constantly did that. And it, so coming back to the US, I didn't really see the difference. Um, the, I didn't really have a gray area. So I kind of, I would always back away from people. I didn't really want to get into altercations. So I kept that mentality and then I went straight um, from the, the the plummet thing to the Jacksons. And during my time with the Jacksons, I mean, I was working seven days a week, sometimes 16, 17 hour days. So I was so busy that I never had time to deal with 
what I dealt with in the military. And, you know, during your time in the military, you don't really tell somebody, hey, man, I'm stressed out. That, you know, that's, especially back then, that's something you kept to yourself. Um, so once, like I said, once I was done, what I saw was, once I was done with that Jackson, with the Jacksons, I went from working in special operations. I went from working with the Jacksons. I went from being a union plumber to where, you know, I had made material foreman in like the first three months of being there, never had become, never working as a plumber. So I was always at the top of my game. Now I didn't have a job. I didn't have anything. And it was, I didn't find, I couldn't find value in myself. So naturally you push everybody away and you, you, you almost self-implode in a sense. Um, you know, you have, of course, suicide is always there. Um, what's your, you know, it, there's so many things going on. And I went to therapy. The problem with a lot of therapy that I saw, I can't speak for everybody, but I know with myself, I, I don't think it really helped that much. Um, I think in a lot of ways it made things worse and it pushed me closer to the edge. So I had to pull back and just really self-assess and just find a different way to deal with, you know, the things I was dealing with. An interesting story about the mental health piece is in 2005, there's a unit um, that was in Iraq. I mean, in Afghanistan, they got into gunfights every day for 15 months. When they came back, they diagnosed a lot of those guys with P severe PTSD. And they said it was so severe, they didn't know how to treat it. So when I looked at that, it was very interesting to me because you have people who grew up in the hood in these communities that are seeing gunfight, gunfire for 20 years. And they have that same severe PTSD and nobody knows how to treat it. So, you know, for me, like I said, over the years, I've pushed people away and lost things, but eventually, you know, I, he's, I just found purpose within myself and use that, um, use that energy to build businesses. And, you know, that, that's pretty much how I ended up dealing with it. But it, it was, it was definitely a heavy weight to deal with. And, uh, and it definitely almost destroyed me. So how do you um, start a publishing company and what experience did you have to start the publishing company? Well, starting a publishing company is like starting another business. One thing I did, I, you have to look at your capabilities, right? If you have obviously $50 million, well, you can get a printing plan. You can get this. You can hire this, hire that, you know, you things you can do when you don't have that money the smartest thing to do is resource outsource everything and build it that way so instead of hiring a plant okay we find somebody that prints the books instead of hiring an editor we find a company that focuses on editing so you just have to be creative until you have um, enough resources to where you can kind of create everything in-house but I think people get stuck on that they can't do it themselves is not something they can do. You just got to start thinking outside the box and be creative. There are so many brands and businesses are dominating. Talk about a brand or business that's dominating and you admire and why. Um, 
So this is gonna this is gonna sound kind of off, but I really I don't admire any of them, and I'm gonna tell you why. For me, it's I kind of resort everything back to um, room clearing. You know, I always go back to what I what I know, what I've been taught, and what I've done for many years. When you're clearing a room, you don't worry about what's going on in the next room. You focus on your target, and I think when you study other targets you kind of you you can sometimes get so caught up in admiring this and that and this and that to you lose opportunities that's in your lane um i'm not a tech guy so a lot of your larger companies are tech companies you know i i don't yeah for me that's just me though i focus on what i'm doing and it's like how can i make this the best how can i reach the top of my game with the resources i have that's just the way I think. Fill in the blanks. We want to do an attitude of gratitude. Thank you, pandemic, because. <laughs> Thank you, pandemic, because it caused me to slow down and explore other options that were always available. But when you're constantly moving around and going here, going there, you kind of, you, you don't really pay attention to those options you because there's so many things around you. So sometimes being isolated, it causes you to really pay attention and focus. And what can we do right now to support your businesses? What you can do right now to support my business is go to amazon.com and buy the book by former president Christian Wolf, all the way up, all the way down. Okay, thank you for that. And we do wanna say thank you, Olivia, for joining us. And if Olivia has a question or anyone that joins us in the audience that has a question, we will be um, willing to take any questions. Pierre, what problem exists in the world today that you would like to solve? Wow. Um, I think one of the biggest problems uh, that I like to solve is the problem, the problem, the, the solving problems in there causing more problems. Let me elaborate. So when you look at, let's talk about the policing in our community. I, I had this talk with uh, local law enforcement and it was one of the mistakes that I got to notice from Iraq, once again, another war scenario. You hit a target one day, you clear it out. You come back the next weeks later, you hit it, and you had just as many people there. And we couldn't figure out why. Sometimes you create the problem. If I have a target in A, and I accidentally hit target B, target B probably thought we were the best thing around. But when I hit target B, the ideology that was going around turn them like everybody else. So in actuality, I created the issue. It's the same thing with law enforcement. When you're going after the bad guy, that's fine. You're the hero. But when you go after the wrong guy, you create more bad people. So that's the, the problem I would solve is people thinking they have the solution to the problem and they're actually the problem. Advice you wish you had followed. <laughs> Um, 
I don't really, you know, I follow pretty much all the advice I get. What's advice? I would have went to co- I would have went to college, went to Morehouse instead of going to the military. Out of high school, that's the one thing I wish I would have done. What is the best decision you've made as a leader? Telling my subordinates I don't know. (laughs) 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 Because what happens is many of us will get in those leadership roles and because we want to be the leader, we act like the leader, but we're not leading because you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Instead of just saying, I don't know, does anybody have a better idea? <laughs> so I think that's the best decision I make as a leader. <laughs> Pierre, the word is listening. What is that resounding sound or message that your generation is saying that we should be? <sighs> Ooh. <laughs> you know, that, that's that's a tough one to me. I mean, I, I hear the messages, um, but I, I think I would say it's an old message, but I think it's past that time. And that was, you know, you know, kind of let me figure out who I am. Let you know, let me grow, let me be me. But I, I think that was if that had happened during a certain area during a certain era, I think we'd be a lot further than we are now, but that era is gone. So in this day, I, I can't really say, I know of a message where I would say, listen to what they're saying. Because a lot of the message you hear today are the same messages that were said during the generation before me when they were children. So I, and clearly it's, it's not working. <laughs> What is your best discovery? My strength and my ability to overcome obstacles. That, that's my best discovery. Who are your top two influencers and what lessons do they teach? <sighs> top two influencers. The first one is life. <laughs> life taught me a whole lot. <laughs> um, I like that. <laughs> like, if you're not influenced by life, then you 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 failed. Um, life will remind you that who you are and whose you are, as my father and my grandparents used to tell me. Um, the second one will would be my parents. Um, divorced as they are, however, each of them has a um, a trait that you know I, I definitely take with me to this day. Um, so, what have you not done in life that you dream about often that you would like to do? The one thing I haven't done is provide a path to put my people in a better situation than they are now financially, um, economic situation. That's my overall goal. Um, I think that would be the one thing. Talk about naming your publishing company. How did you come up with that name? So 
I use my family names. Um, my on my father's side, um, my grandmother's first generation American. Her mother's um, last name was Sill, and her father's last name is Gatsby. Um, from the West Indies. So that's why I pulled both of those names and created the publishing company for a multitude of reasons. One, to always remember, like I said, where you come from, um, and more so to ensure that piece of my lineage is never lost. That's pretty cool. And talk about raising capital. You touched on that with the plumbing company. How did you raise the capital for the publishing company? The the publishing company, what I did was I pretty much used my own money. I didn't try to raise capital because there is with with plumbing it's a little different. When you do construction, you have invoices, you have receivables, you have, you know, real work. If you go fix somebody's sink, you're getting money right there. Um you don't need a technically you don't need a um a whole bunch of layers to do plumbing. Um with publishing, it's a lot harder to raise capital because unlike plumbing, people know you're going to go fix a sink or do some plumbing. There's no guarantee you're going to sell a book. So it's very difficult to raise capital. It's almost like, unless you have some, you know, quote, unquote Jay-Z that, hey, Jay-Z got a book, he want to put it through your company. Well, obviously people know that's going to sell, so they'll give you the capital to do it. Um, in this case, I'm embarking in a territory that is not, it's, it may be untouched in a lot of ways, especially with the art community. Um, I'm going publishing a former president who is currently still involved with the government and in succession um, with, I think, third in succession currently with the government. So that is a, although meaningful from a financial standpoint, if, if I'm an investor, and that's how I look at stuff, if I'm investing, why would I invest in that? So versus sit there and ask people for money, create your own way. So I didn't raise the capital. I put my own money in it and uh, created created what you have. And if someone is listening and they want to start a publishing company, would you recommend that they use they that they bootstrap or that they go another route? <sighs> so if somebody's starting a publishing company, the first thing I would ask them is. What are you doing differently than sorry man done? Because it can also be a dead man's land. What do I mean by that? I tell people all the time in life, you're building your resume. Your journey is your money, not the actual dollar. What do I mean by that? If I give you, if you give me two dollars, I give you a dollar and I go across the street, I only have one dollar. That dollar's gone. It's not transferable. In life, if you collect all these tools to build something, if I go across the street, I still got the same tools. So I never did anything for money. I always did things for the experience, the tools to build. So with building those tools, I had a lot of contacts. I have a whole lot of contacts internationally. So if somebody wants to start a publishing company, there's a few things I'd ask them. How many contacts you have? And what are you doing that somebody else can't do? And if you don't have the ability to do it, then you you have an uphill journey just to get a book to publish. And it's not a discouragement, but I don't believe in giving people false hope just to say, look, you can do it, I can do. 
And it's not an ego thing, but you can't do what I can do unless you walk the journey I walk. And even then, you would have to walk the journey at the same time I walk to meet the people I walk, met. So if somebody wants to start a publishing company, I would first tell them to take a certain journey and meet people and work in certain fields and get to know people. So when you start a publishing company, you have a book to publish. Speaking of leaders, who are our leaders today and what message are they saying to us? Leaders today, are we talking about in the community or are we talking about in the U.S. in period? It, you know, Pierre, this question is however you define the leaders of today. Okay. Leaders of today. Um, one of the biggest problems is with the exception of the older black leaders, um, you really don't have a lot. You don't have any. And it's not, it's nothing, it's not condemning or shading anybody who's currently considering themselves a leader. But we fall in love with being on TV and being seen. A leader is somebody who performs when the camera's not around. If you look at what leaders do, leader takes responsibility for successes and failures. Nobody's taking responsibility for failures anymore. Everybody wants to take responsibility for success. A leader is the first and the last to leave. A leader puts himself before everything else, and a leader will go without so others have. So when you really look at those definitions, you ain't got no leaders. <laughs> and that's one of the problems in this country, in my personal opinion. Talk about legacy. When it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as someone who didn't in love, who was not in love with money, but in love with the journey and showing other people how to take that journey. Talk to That's all talk to a younger you. What advice would you give to a younger Pierre? Put more effort. Take more chances. Um, I think that was one of my stumbling blocks younger. I had the ability to do whatever I wanted to do, but I didn't want to do the hard work. And I think it, it stumped my growth and there's a reason why I'm not where I probably could be. And I think that's any and everybody, but that's just myself uh, personally. Where do you see the business in the next year and the next five years? In the next year, I see, I see the business growing drastically. I see it making change. In the next five years, I see it as one of the leading companies and changing the way a lot of things are done. In what way? In the way that companies such as a publishing company can get started on the kitchen table and be among the top publishing companies <laughs> take going after a market that nobody's really touching or nobody wants to touch or doesn't have the ability to touch.
What is your biggest challenge of being an entrepreneur? The biggest challenge of being an opportunity of, of being an entrepreneur is um, ensuring the business keeps going because you're going to have highs and lows, as well. I mean, you're going to have it all, um, but you just have to stay steadfast, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what's happening. Um, Sacrifice. It's a lot of stuff. You're constantly sacrificing. Everything is before your needs or anybody else's needs. Um, you have to make sure that company it, it keeps going. If if you have a company and and you're not feeling the burn or the struggle, then you know, something, yeah, you you gonna feel it. That's the biggest stress. That's the biggest challenge. But you know, you as long as you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, you're making headway. It's worth it. What is your zone of genius? <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, another way to say it is what is your superpower? My superpower is to keep moving despite whatever's going on around me. Um, literally. <laughs> Some of the stuff will break the average human that I deal with. But I just keep going. I think that's my superpower. It's like pro and a con to that. Too. And what is your weakness as an entrepreneur? My weakness is people. I don't put a dollar over someone else's need. And that, you know, I don't make, I, I don't think that's a weakness I want to get rid of. Um, to me, if you're struggling, if you have money in your pocket and you can keep guys employed and keep them feeding their families, do it. That's what leaders do. I think to ensure my pockets stay laced so I bankrupt the company or do it or start doing layoffs, that's a weak way out to me. And I understand it's a business model. I understand how business works. But if you call yourself a leader, you go ahead and empty your pockets to make sure the business keeps going and make sure these guys are paid. I'm not laying people off because I'm affecting their families that they're trying to feed. My family be okay. That's my weakness. What does self care look like? <sighs> to me, self care is just kind of taking a step back, and you know, um, just just um, what do you call it? Taking a step back from it and just, just clear your mind for a second. Um, that's what self-care to me. It's, it's, it's real simple. If you get too stressed, go for a walk. If it becomes too much, take a step back. Just relax. Um, because what will happen is too much stress will kill you. So you, you have to, you know, monitor your stress levels. What was, what was that aha moment that you knew you were going to be successful? <laughs> um, I never had that moment to be honest with you. It, it was it was never about the success. It was always a bigger purpose. I was always looking at how can I help people? How can I help my mother? How can I help my family? How can I do for my community what I felt should have been done for them? You don't want to pay me reparation? How do I get my own reparation? So it was never, I never looked for the success. Like I said, for me, it's always about the journey. It's always about accomplishing something that people can't really accomplish every day.
But I, I, you know, I never, people tell me that all the time, man, you said, I don't see the success. All I see is something else I can accomplish or some another goal or another objective I can overcome. So that's just how I see it. Let's take a snapshot over the last 30 days. What was your biggest win? Last 30 days. My biggest win, waking up. (laughs) (laughs) You're above ground, huh? I mean, that right there is the biggest win for me. Everything else is superficial. You know, you learn to appreciate life when you've seen the other side. And so for me, I'm simple. But as long as I got air in my body, I'm good. (laughs) That's my biggest thing in the last 30 days. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, how are you celebrating that win? Use the oxygen that God put in my body to accomplish more goals. That that's how I celebrate it. I don't quit. To me, uh, that's that's the biggest way to celebrate it. Keep if you put oxygen in your body, that means you can do more. And you can do more. Just when you hit the when you hit a breaking point, go ahead and pull back a little bit. But just don't quit. And that's how I celebrate it, you know. That's how I make sure it's not in vain. Pierre, I want you to have a monologue. I want you to name this person living or not. This person has inspired you so much in your life. Name the person and what are you saying to this person? Wow. Um, One of the people that have inspired me so much in my life, Wow, that that's a that that can be an emotional moment. <laughs> um, I, I would have to say um, my grandmother, my grandmother, and I, if anything, I wouldn't say much except thank you. That that's it's really that simple. Um, yeah, I had a praying grandmother, so I I would tell her thank you after every deployment. And she would uh, let me know she prayed for me, and she. He cried, come to me, cry at me, kiss me on the cheek, and said, I pray for you. So for me, there's never enough. All I could ever say is thank you. That's beautiful. Talk about the most memorable moment in life or in business. The most memorable moment in life. Jeez. Oh man, um, was on my last operation getting on a helicopter. That's that's my most memorable moment. The last mission, the last operation that I was ever involved in in the war zone, getting on a helicopter. That was my most memorable moment because at that point, I walked away from death. That that's one I'll never forget, and it was by far the most difficult moment because we actually got actually got stuck in um i think it was a it was a mud pile or an above ground septic um 
I got stuck. My weapon got jammed up. And there was a ridge line that overlooked us that we had not cleared. And for the grace of God, we did not get into a gunfight because it would have been ugly. Because it took me 30 minutes to crawl to the air, to the helicopter. Unless it felt like 30 minutes. It could have been five, but it felt like 30. But I was just sitting up. So that's my most memorable moment. That was the time I realized there's another purpose for me. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but there was another purpose for me. <laughs> so when you were getting on that airplane, for those of us who are not um, aware of special ops or being in the service, did you know that moment you was boarding the plane that that was going to actually be your last mission? Yes, that was my last raid. Um, I knew it going on, that raid. Yeah, it was one of my last ones. It was going to be my last one. And, you know, everything that could went wrong went wrong in that operation. And, I mean, I was literally to the time, from the time we landed to mortars going off and just all kind of craziness. <laughs> it literally, by all accounts, there's no reason that it didn't go wrong than it did. So for me, you know, that that will always be a, a, a special day. You know, there's a book inside it. <laughs> so here's the interesting thing. I, I've heard that. <laughs> the thing, the interesting thing is, like, up until um, this this event I'm doing now with this the publishing company, I've always shot away from the camera. Obviously, I've had careers and walks in life where the camera wasn't popular. Um, so, I, you know, me talking about this publicly like this is definitely something new, so. <laughs> Pierre, if you conducted this interview, what is the one question you would have asked yourself? I want you to ask the question and answer. <laughs> the one question I would ask myself, is do you ever quit? And the answer is no. And I think that 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 would definitely, yeah. I just don't quit. I don't care what the obstacle is, what the risk is. You know, if I have to take a hit on, I'm gonna do it. But I'm not gonna quit. We've come to the part of our interview. It's called Fun Facts Lightning Round, and I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And I'd like you to give me very quick answers. If there's something you desire not to answer, feel free to say pass. Are you ready for the Fun okay. Facts Lightning Round? I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Your favorite holiday? None. <laughs> Your favorite color? Red. Your first job? The Serious. last movie you saw? Ooh. CNN. <laughs> <laughs> they said movies. I don't, I don't even know. Uh, Dolomite. You relax doing what? Nothing. Your favorite singer or rapper? Layla Hathaway. Your favorite dance song? I don't dance. <laughs> what food you eat every week no matter what? Anything related to tacos. 
your favorite month? March. Work out or hit the couch? Work out. Pierre Williams, thank you so much for joining us on Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast. Before we let you go, why don't you share with our audience the best way for them to connect with you and to do business with you and feel free to leave all your social media handles. Hey, the best way to get in touch with me, you can go to our website at sillgadsby.com. That's S is in Sam, E-A-L-E-G-A-D-S-B-Y.com. All of our information is on there, including all the social media handles. Um, Twitter, Instagram, it's all Sill Gatsby. That's the best way to get in contact with me. <laughs> Thank you, Pierre. That's Thank a wrap. You.